Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999. I am your host, Mark Malik. Oh, you did say your last name. I was thinking because I, I, I'm, I'm Matt Comages. I said the last you name. Sure are. I was listening to last week's episode, which we recorded like five months ago. And I'm like, we're using our last name. That's wild. So we can well, introduce our guests the same. That's from- that's not as bad as how I kept saying Koenig. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, coming well, back to us from Mission Log the Orville is Mike Richards. Howdy. Tom Edges. Tom Edgy. Tom <laughs> I think it's the first time ever you guys say your last name. So that's awesome. I got a YouTube uh, yeah. strike because of my name. Oh, you did? did Why? Because oh. you, were, you, were you edging or was somebody like Googling I, the wrong thing? Apparently I was edging. And uh, th- I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not about to say anything actually dirty here, uh, at least not in like, you know, seven dirty words. But um. One of my other podcast people are like, how do you say this guy's name? Because I don't say it on that one, the the occult Disney one. So I put a YouTube comment that said it's like comma, like the punctuation, and then jizz, like J-I-Z-Z. <laughs> and then and then I got a, a YouTube oh. strike for cyberbullying myself. Yeah, you just can't <laughs> say things. I I I usually push back when people say you can't say anything anymore, but you kind of you can't type anything on one of these broken corporate websites anymore. Okay, that sounds about right. Because I'm like, yeah. how how can you because bully they don't yourself? Work. I don't know. I get they I don't work. Like Edward Norton and Fight Club punching himself in the face is that bullying yourself? Yeah, or like Nate uh, and uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, that that's Please on my to watch it. list. I know I need yeah, to I haven't watch seen it. Lasso, Sorry, but I oh yeah, yet. that's not much of a spoiler alert. So okay. no, I'm sure it's not. You know what? I've I've does Ted Lasso found... hang anyone with his lasso? Never mind. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't answer. No, that. He doesn't okay. hog tie anyone. I don't. He doesn't think. hog tie anybody. Yeah, he just no hog tied himself, and he just hog tied himself in the driveway behind his ex wife's car, so she couldn't leave. In ter- in terms of name, he did. That's right. Um, where are we today? We're on Force of Life. Um, I I did find it interesting that this in broadcast order is number two for us. It's like number eight. And I do think it makes more sense at number eight than number two. He was, uh, it was hard to find that information for some reason because a lot of places where they list episode order, nobody seems to care about airing order at all. Mm. And also on YouTube, it appeared as season one, episode nine. So I don't. Oh, okay. Well, that's where Whatever. we are. I think we're nine ish. So that seems uh, about right for us. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot I went, of them I... are all up. Place. I, I ended up looking it up in like um like like the space 1999 wiki and it had a uh, you guys are probably familiar with all this and it had air date it had production date and then it had people's recommended dates as well <laughs> oh, that, no, that could be taken with a uh with it with a grain of salt i'm sure uh, but i'm sh- but yeah i think none of this is really 100 percent verifiable as to what order which was in um i was thinking that since this was kind of for lack of a better term a bottle episode they didn't leave the moon base they didn't that maybe since uh, other sets weren't ready and things like that, that they just thought, okay, we'll film this one out of production because we have all the stuff. 
but we'll direct the people as if you've been here for a couple of months and things are kind of boring. So they can just sort of be chilling in the solarium and, uh, you know, things well, like that. The main thing is, I mean, as you might expect, they felt like they'd spent too much money on Guardian of Piri last week. So they're like, yeah, let's just do this. Uh, uh, but but the interesting thing about it is that, well, I couldn't I had this trivia and I lost it. <laughs> there was something about where they had to switch studios halfway through making this and rebuild all the sets. So oh. that's crazy. Oh, no way. Um, that, adds, that adds some <laughs> some production money to your uh, bottle up. Yeah, that's crazy. So <laughs> they had to rebuild everything. I think they just had to move it, probably. Okay, but yeah. um, like I That's said, why there's no season for Batman because they had struck the sets already. Because uh, wow. I think it was like a different network was like, "We'll take Batman," but then it was like, "Oh, they already <laughs> destroyed the set, so you only get mm. the 120 episodes there already are." <laughs> but the thing is, is that the way David Tomlin directs this, this is a lot of like big. You see a lot of like big giant like sets that you don't normally see i feel like that you get a lot tighter shots usually with this show so this episode feels like a different and more expensive show than what we've been watching in general even though nobody leaves the base yeah well you, it, you're it definitely of... had a feature kind of feel to it with at least the different rooms a lot of different camera angles um yeah i see what you're all saying the, yeah all the big nuclear production rooms and stuff look just yeah. crazy well, you, you've got three toes in trivia. You want to rock out with that? Uh-huh. Let's get all of them into trivia. <laughs> this episode is the second directed by, as I said earlier, David Tomlin, who previously directed Another Time, Another Place. And here's another episode in your face. He will be back for two more in season one, after which he directed Return of the Ewok. Johnny Byrne co-wrote this episode with the Andersons. He also co-wrote another time, another place, as well as matter of life and death. He'll be back for five more season one episodes and three in season two. Originally titled Force of Evil, it's one of only three episodes in the entire series where nobody leaves the base. Uh, our main guest star this week is Ian McShane as Anton Zoreff. That's a great sci-fi name. Uh, he was born in 1942 in Blackburn, Lacan, Lancashire, England. I'm sure Blackburn, I said that right. Lancashire. It's like the, the Lancashire? day in life. Fine. Beatles. It's Didn't... probably Lancashire, right? Something like that. Lancashire. Lancashire. Blackbird, Lancashire. And the Beatles okay, got don't. me good doing. I'm sorry. John, I'm trusting John Lennon. I'm sorry. I've only heard that song like three times, probably. Uh, although his acting career dates back to 1962, and early on you could see him in su such works as The Pleasure Girls, Pussycat, Pussycat, I Love You, and If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium. Of all the Space 1999 players we've talked about, and possibly all of them we ever will talk about, McShane is the only one who is a bigger star now than he's ever been. Uh, in recent years, you catch him in Deadwood, Kung Fu Panda, the John Wick series, American Gods, and is one of the good actors in the bad Hellboy. As of 2023, the McShane train shows no signs of slowing down. Guest starring opposite McShane is Gay Hamilton as Ava Zoraf. I had no idea they were married until I made this trivia. Uh, she was born in 1943 in Uddingson, Langnarkshire, Scotland. I'm sure I said that right, too. Uh, she mostly has British acting credits, appearing in The Maladjusted Busker. Please, sir, and complete an utter history of Britain. Like McShane, she is still with us and was still appearing on TV as recently as 2017. Appearing as the ill-fated Mark Dominix, not Dominatrix, is John Hamill. No relation. 
He was born in 1947 in London, and you can immediately see from the front photo in his IMDb that he's okay for being known for ex being extremely muscular and almost nude. He was a famous model in the 60s, and soon after filming this episode, he attempted to direct, star in, and produce a sex film called Doing the Best I Can, although it was never released. The only quote on his IMDb states, The sex movies ruined my career, but you know how it is. I was out of work, the birds were smashing, and I've always been a born flasher. Before he retired from acting... Wait, a born flasher? A born flasher. Does that mean something else in British English? Probably. Okay. Uh, before he retired from acting, he, he appeared in two Doctor Who episodes in 1978. Uh, Leah Brody guessed as Hillary Preston, uncredited. Born in 1951, she had a brief career in the 70s, appearing in The Life Taker, Warlords of the Deep, and Correction, Please, or How We Got Into Pictures. Our final guest victim this week is Tony Allen, also uncredited and unnamed, playing security guard. He, too, had a brief career in the 70s, appearing in Boney, the stud and Matlock police. No relation. That's trivia. Okay. So that's not the Afrobeat drummer. I just named out. everyone who died. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> a, a list of death. That's right. And, and, and Eva. So now we have a crew of what? 305, I guess. Something like that. I mean, a lot of buildings exploded. So I'm assuming more people. Died. We lost 200. Jane, sadly, um, who appeared in a bunch of Bond films. Uh, she was the, the, I, I'm guessing nurse because I think there's only two doctors on the ship with the white sleeve. Um, Jane died we too? lost. Damn it! And we lost two. We got. We ended up with two uh, cross country skiers. Uh, right. We got uh, Mark, and then the purple sleeve that we'll probably get to later. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's three. And then there's the guy that I think might have died on the table because oh, the message yeah. from sick bay up to main mission was people are dying and Doctor uh, <laughs> Doctor what's his name was banging on. Uh, Banging on his chest. Five minutes yeah. could be a pretty big, cutting, expensive time. Cutting the power didn't really seem to do a whole lot, except kill that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, blood is on your hands. Uh, I'll do the complete indeed. plot, I suppose. An alien blob of blue energy makes its way to Moonbase Alpha and takes up residence in nuclear technician Anton Zorov. Alien Zorov begins siphoning energy from the moon base while death-freezing those who get in his way. He manages to keep his girlfriend out of the way, but still comes close to murdering the majority of moon base Alpha's hotties. Though sequestered in sickbay, Alien Zorov makes his way out and targets the big nuclear kahuna on the new moon base. Commander Koenig takes the risk of shutting down all power, which puts the ailing Alphans in peril but allows Koenig's team to reduce Alien Zoraf to a smoking cinder of s'mores. Even with this defeat, the alien forces siphons enough nuclear power to sate itself and drifts on back into space, leaving a moon base that definitely no longer has a crew of 311 souls. One time well, I said know, the commander's name right, and one time I said it wrong. <laughs> Since you started saying it wrong, now I can't remember which one's right. <laughs> it's Koenig. <laughs> yeah, uh, also, hey, you know what's great not having 311 be associated with your base what? yeah that's that's good they got some badass base man anyway i, I don't agree well with that. i don't know about you guys I mean, it, it's, it's not it's not a slide on the band right it's a slide on the i mean it the is. meaning of 311 oh. I mean, the meaning of 311 it's like the meaning of christmas except for the meaning of it is that your ears died for their sins 
anyway <laughs> um, also i guess that's easter not christmas anyway uh i don't know about you guys this is definitely my favorite episode of this show so far okay i was actually coming from the opposite one where maybe it's oh. like not my favorite um i mean not- it's not it's not it's possibly dumber than episodes that i've called out for being dumb but i still loved it <laughs> Yeah, for me it was like it was like alien, but instead of a xenomorph, we get like a middle-aged mm-hmm. man. We get a yeah, middle-aged morph. I guess it is pretty ironic that I've pointed out that I really don't like the Strange New Worlds Gorn episodes because they're all just alien over and over. But I liked this. Yeah. Because this isn't as much like alien as it is like just a weird Cronenberg movie or, or David Lynch or something. It's Life Force, the one with Patrick Stewart where the perfect lady walks analogy. around naked for half the movie. Exactly. It's like the masterpiece Life Force. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that. It's it's a little bit, you know, it could have been a little bit more jump scary, I think. I was wondering, you know, how close to, I think this episode's dropping right after Halloween. Um, but I think a few more jump scares might have been good. But, you know, having the dark corridors, the dark halls kind of felt like a good haunted house episode. Um, and I think that. Uh, yeah. So how. So speaking of Ian McShane, I mean, you, you called him a middle aged uh, guy. That was this. This is 45 years of 47, 48 years ago. The show was on. How old was he then? And how old is he now? He was about thirty-five um, when he did this. I was just, <laughs> I was pushing a little bit, calling him a middle-aged schlub. Well, because he um, looked there. There was something about being like uh, in your in your forties, like in the sixties and seventies, that you just looked old, man. Like I think, I think those people just had a hard time of it growing up. It just aged them. Now, what might have made this my favorite episode was a little bit of recasting. He was great. I'm not, I'm not, rang, um, you know, trying to take the image over Coles, but I was thinking, how much would I love this if that were uh, Terry Jones or Dudley Moore? <laughs> well, Ian McShane is a he's a lot like a Willem Dafoe where where you can't even you can't possibly argue that he isn't like better now than he was then. He's a much better actor now. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was first. I had to look it up. So I was like, huh. Oh. I didn't recognize yeah, he's, him at all. He he really is. And and you mentioned before that he's the most of the I guess of the guest cast, he's the more successful now than he than he was back then. Um, obviously Martin Landa went on to win an Academy Award, but you know, obviously he's not more successful now because sadly he we lost him. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll go through and I guess as we go through, we'll see more more guest stars and see what greatness they went on to accomplish. Let's, yeah, it's just uh, just one of those weird roll of the dice things where you could argue that Christopher Lee, if we were talking about Christopher Lee t- fifteen or twenty years ago, we might say that he's the He's more successful then than he was when, when the he show came on. Even though he's pretty successful the then, yeah, Dracula. Um, true, but it's it's just weird because Ian McShane just keeps showing up in everything and most generally mm-hmm. is well liked and uh, whatever sign of quality in your crappy but, Hellboy movie. Before we um did start doing the episode proper, I guess it, it was on it was recorded, but not in the proper episode that we are recording is uh. This being the the horniest episode so far, because I was like, you know, writing like, don't take out all the hotties, man. I mean, that's just rude. Uh, <laughs> we we have we have an indication that there are people who are sleeping together, which we haven't had in this show so far at all. So I've I've got two full pages of notes that are interrupted things with like, boy, Eve is pretty. Later on, boy, Eve is really pretty. Wow, Jane's pretty too. Holy cow! 
a sun tanning lounge. I would be in there all the time. <laughs> wow, they're yeah. really pretty also. And this is a week after we had an episode where basically everybody just went down to the planet's surface and beach towels and stuff. (laughs) So I don't know. Is the Italian influence creeping in here from the Italian investors? Put some other ladies in. Hey, I guess. Hey, how about you have a tanning salon? (laughs) Maybe they're not wrong. I mean, (laughs) hey, no, man, it looked cool. Like even did you guys even notice the alarm clock? I mean, even the alarm clock was bangable. Um, I, you know, like my podcast partner, Jessica Lynn Verdi, has a, uh, a Twitch channel where she ranks the most bangable things. Sometimes it's like cartoon character or monster. Sometimes it could be uh, the other night they did like a food mascot. Um, I'm she thinking Pokemon. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm thinking uh, alarm clocks may need to be a new category on that show after watching this. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those. Um... A lot of those one the ones that gradually get lighter to simulate sunrise, a lot of those are just like big circles. So yeah. I, think, I was about to say, have we seen like chilling on the moon base before? And I guess we did in Black Sun, like when everyone thinks they're gonna die. So they just start like playing, you know, games and drinking scotch and stuff. Um I, I, mm-hmm. I also love that we're starting to see the effects of the post Black Sun in production order, I guess. Um, where are we now? This this episode aired after Black Sun. Uh, I think it aired, yes. well, it aired no. as far as I could tell, it aired as episode two. This would have aired oh, right yeah, after yeah, Breakaway, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in production order, it's it's long after Black Sun, yeah. Okay, yeah, so we're starting to see um a little bit of the, the Victor Bergman starting to get out of his, like, knowledge zone, outside of his sphere of influence. Victor, what do you make of that? Heck if I know. I yeah, never the, saw anything like that yeah. before. Uh, so Guardian so I'm, I'm looking here. So, yes, this did air second, September 11th, 75. They um, could have started airing the show on September 13th and they didn't. <laughs> Wait a week. Jeez. You know what? There, well, it wouldn't have aired on the 13th anyway, unless they moved it to a different day of the week. Well, they should have. That's how we did this podcast. It airs on this day because I wanted to start on September 13th. Right. We did a better <laughs> job than they did. Yes. Well, I mean, look at it this way. It took me a month to make the Facebook page. Okay. <laughs> okay i was in the hospital i think but anyway oh, yeah, just excuse. out of it just out of it but um yeah so after this is collision course war games deaths other dominion voyagers return i don't think we've done any of those yet no completely <laughs> different uh <laughs> run of episodes but yeah like last week guardian period i was like starting to think barry morris was doing his um 30 years early or 25 years early austin powers impression it's still going on here. Maybe that like speaks to your black son because somebody's like, "Hey, I just don't know, man." You know, he's, he's, he has this weird <laughs> Austin Powers lilt. Like he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's too groovy now. Where he definitely was not groovy in the first few episodes, and, and even at the end, where he's like, "Looks like it got what it needed, and it's moving on." And Koenig's like, "A star." Victor's like, something like that. <laughs> like just no, not a star but I'm not going to explain it to you. Yeah, the Sailor Force is pretty much an a-hole, just showing up, offering a few <laughs> lives, siphoning some power, and going on its merry way. Well, when they did mention that it was going to evolve and go on its merry way, I kind of thought that it was going to evolve maybe to, uh, instead of having to invade or steal from the uh, the generating system, um, I thought maybe it could learn to sustain itself on hate and emotion. 
and mm. go on. See what I did there? A little Day of the Dove. This <laughs> yeah, thing yeah, might yeah. Uh, might evolve into yeah, the Day I'll... of the Dove thing here in a few. It's nicer well, here because of the blue light. It goes red light and that, doesn't mm. it? Well, the interesting Depends, thing man. about it, the uh, the end of this episode really made me feel like it was sort of a Star Trek have your cake and eat it too because they were kind of ruminating over maybe it's something very profound and interesting or the birth of a new life. But all it did was show up and kill people and leave and blow things up. It's just a murderer. They just, yeah, they, there was no like I kept looking for like some kind of like, you know, metaphor for this thing. And, you know, Koenig's answer was we have to kill it before it gets too strong, which reminded me of, you know, Gary Mitchell and uh, where no man has gone before. Um, so there was some of that going on. He even had like the like the scary. I wonder if they had got those same uh, silver contact lenses that they had right at the very at the very end. They were kind of Gary Mitchell esque as well but no i i didn't see anything other than this being like basically a monster episode that kind of resolved itself yeah basically they, they did anything decided, or not <laughs> they decided the monster would just go back to its home planet and we'd they'd think about it because really there was not much they could have done about it it could have killed all it could have just stayed there and killed all of them most likely <laughs> if it ruined all of their power sources then they're doomed so it yeah. plot it plotted it plot armored itself out of there. <laughs> and they, the good uh, another good exchange I thought between Koenig and uh, and Bergman was when uh, when Martin Landau said, "I don't. There's no other energy sources around here that are that are close enough." And Victor was like, "Obviously, there are. You know, it just uh, if you eliminate the impossible, some it's got to come from somewhere." Yeah, and they're so far. Well, again, we are watching this as Black Sun's already happened, so they're in who knows where. They, I mean, it seems yeah, you could tell some stuff with telescopes or you know spectrometers or something, but they don't really know. They're in like another galaxy at this point. That's true. Um, I guess, so I guess I guess. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, you know, I, I, when uh, Anton was reading his book in his in his quarters. I was like, you know, it's good that launching things into space got cheap enough that they could launch books, like physical books, instead of just like transmitting a PDF up to, you know, the base at light speed for whatever you want. Well, they're handing around pads, you know, like 90s Trek style, like with because they have like two com slightly different dialogue uh, diagrams on two completely different pads. Um, Were those are you talking about those cardboard cutouts that Victor was showing? Like, was that supposed to be a pad? Like, I thought <laughs> it was just like a visual aid. He got printed out at like Moonbase Kinko's and was like <laughs> yeah. showing what was what the yeah, trends is, were. It's the future of printing. That's what I was thinking. It was just like, whoa, this is your inkjet prints cardboard in space and <laughs> maybe maybe you don't have to fill the ink which is amazing i think because some of these designs do look kind of proto l cars which might be why i was like sitting there thinking it was a electronic device hmm. like I, I i mean you'd have to ask the akudas or something but i feel like this must be like an influence on the the 90s l car stuff yeah, um, I definitely think so. And and I also can't watch this show without thinking how much of an impact it had on must have had on Star Trek, the motion picture, like just, you know, from sort of the look and the pacing and um, even even the last scene today where um, and I apologize if we should hold, you know, hold off on this till later. But I did apply. They were talking, yeah, fine. when they were talking about a thing being born and, uh, you know, that that very last scene of the motion picture where he said, 
it's been a while since I've delivered a baby. And uh, Kirk said, complete with all of our human frailties and our desire to overcome them. Like it just, it just like, I know this little blue thing didn't have that, but maybe taking Anton with it is helping it to evolve in some point. Like Victor talked about a step in its evolution into the next thing. Um, you know, I just, I just couldn't help but draw a comparison between the motion picture and, and that last scene. Of course, Feature didn't go yeah. serial killer well, crew. That's the thing. This would, <laughs> would be have like killed if, so many uh, other things, though. Yeah, like I've complained about this in this episode already. I think, but the the Gorn episodes in Strange New Worlds would be like if at the end of one of those they left, and then somebody was like, "Well, we'll never know why the Gorn are are doing whatever they're doing, but they're going to go and they're going to <laughs> just <laughs> at least treat that sort of like they are stone cold murderers. And we have to deal with the fact that they're murderers." Yeah, I, th- I think at some point, I don't even know what kind of game Strange New World is playing, but um, I hope they just stop with that. Yeah, there, there was. I, I hope think... they just. I mean, I hope they just stop, full stop. Um, hmm. But you know, the, they just, you know, I think they're going down the the road of, you know, they're monsters and they're there's there's no redeeming qualities and we just have to kill them, which is like the least Star Trek message ever. Um, but if they play it out over the course of two or three seasons and then say, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe if we do talk, we can find some common ground and, and can peacefully coexist. And if they want to drag that out over three seasons, I guess that's what their showrunner's choice, but I feel like they did that pretty well in just arena. Um, one episode that's 50 years old and we don't need that story again. We certainly don't need a drug out over several seasons. Yeah. They're just, I feel like they said, Hey, you know what sounds like the word Borg? The word Gorn. Let's make the Gorn the Borg. But then the thing about the Borg is that they were used in like, what, three, four episodes of TNG. And then I'm right now really watching through Voyager for the first time. And Mm. they're really doing interesting things with the Borg that I never thought that would they be doing. So, yeah, if they could do that with Gorn, I don't think they will. (laughs) Yeah, it's really cool that they are doing that on on Voyager because they did do a deep dive into it and it was right after they got all the free stuff from uh, Star Trek First Contact coming out so they had you know a lot of a lot of cool you know Borg toys I almost said Gorn toys they had a lot of really cool <laughs> Borg toys that they could start playing with then um, but yeah. at least there they they did tell a story and they did flat you know flesh things out and 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 in many ways make it more relatable whereas you know so far in Strange New Worlds they're just monsters and need to be killed um so if they do eventually and i think they will come around to finding a way to coexist that's something they did in one episode of the original series maybe that's the thing where this episode didn't sit with me completely because in every other space 1999 so far they've kind of interfaced with whatever intelligence be it artificial or sentient and this one there's none of that it's just a unknowable force which is kind of cool um yeah but 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 it is sort of also we're seeing sort of a pattern where you encounter something and if it's evil then it either messes with koenig and loses or it kills a red shirt <laughs> it's sort of like it picks <laughs> the guest star and murders it or the guest star is the whatever the thing is I, w- I wonder if what is the better title for this you said it was originally called force of evil and now it's force yeah. of life that force would absolutely be a better title. Um, force of, force of energy. I, um, electric death. Force Maybe of should be energy vampire. Death. Force of Mister. He is Freeze. an energy vampire. He's literally an energy vampire. 
Yeah. 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 Which you maybe know, they should have gone into having him just make everybody unhappy, depressed. I, you know, a, co- a cool scene, I think. And I don't even know what, what it would look like or what it would sound like. But I imagine it would probably be a, a, a whispering voice because that seems to be very 70s, you know, British sci-fi. Um when, when Ian McShane or whoever his stand-in was in that last scene in full-on, you know, crispy critter makeup, uh, could actually maybe at that point tell their side of the story and what they're what they're doing there. Um, don't know if that would have added anything, but this thing was just a straight up come, you know, as 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 the meme says, walk in, f everything up, and go home. Uh, uh-huh. That's 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 the mission of this blue uh, blue blob. Yeah, yeah a, at one point he tells Eva, don't come near me or they'll hurt you or they'll kill you. And I wish we'd gotten a little more on that because <laughs> I was like, huh, they? Who's they? And that could be that's like that that bottle city of Krypton or something. You know, it could be a whole civilization in our in our blue light for all we know. That would be cool if it just zoomed in and it was like the 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 city from what two episodes ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah cool, I mean how that cool map painting. How interesting would it be if if there if like that ball of light included like you know like thousands of beings? So now Moonbase Alpha is just like this little little outpost of three hundred plus people. Now now three hundred. But what if it's just the Smurfs? Yeah, the Smurfs are cute. You let the you Smurfs can give give the Smurfs your life and your energy. Should I just take this episode and dub in whenever someone starts? Whenever he starts killing someone, and just goes la 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 la. Oh la, yeah, of la, course, la. of course you la, should do that. La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy little blue light. That's right. Um, yeah, I did. I was mildly amused by crispy, um, crispy Ian at the end. Crispy, uh, <laughs> that was cool. I thought it was really cool. <laughs> he had these white eyes. That was crazy. I love the way Nick Tate didn't even show up. And and this is directly to you. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to hijack the conversation. Um, and so Nick Tate, as far as I can tell, didn't even show up until 36 minutes in. Uh, first thing he does is, you know, he, he fires on. Uh, uh, no, he he runs in and he saves Eva. Right. She was getting ready to go in for the hug um, for Ian McShane. And he comes in, he saves her there. Boom. So it's Alan Carter for the win right there. And then he's the guy who pulls out his uh, his energy weapon. I don't know if those things have names. Um mm-hmm phasers pulse pistols i don't know disruptors um but he pulls he he shoots the energy vampire with energy uh so we know how that goes but he's trying to save the day there so very very kind of alan carter centric uh action centric there at the end a lot of tumbling man he did a lot mm-hmm. of tumbling in that on that race back to main mission at the end that was <laughs> that was good well, stuff I like how he does fine rescuing her, but early on, you know, she's banging on the door and the, the guy who's built us only this security guard immediately helps her and lets her out and he just gets murdered immediately. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just like, oh, maybe you oh, should but- have told this guy not to <laughs> to like run away from Ian McShane. I don't know. But but I I promise not to hijack the conversation. So yeah, the crispy uh crispy Ian costume at the end that was caused by uh alan carter when he when he shot the energy vampire with the with the energy weapon um yeah what'd you what'd you think of that well i started of course thinking of uh episode three of star wars where uh you know we get crispy hayden christensen (laughs) that's that's where my mind went right and crispyson yeah of course he was missing a few limbs also at that point and whereas uh um zoroff was still mobile so i guess he had that going for him but to his credit, uh, Crispy Zoraf wasn't 
just throwing out George Bush quotes. He should have been thrown out Mr. He should have been thrown out Mr. Freeze. Quotes. If you're not with us, you're against us. You <laughs> should just start saying Nixon stuff like "Yeah, I'm not a crook." <laughs> <laughs> you know the funny uh, thing about that quote when you when you watch the actual quote uh, filmed at Walt Disney World, um, he actually says it as a pretty <laughs> understated Nixon. He was at Disney World when he said that he was not a crook. Um, <laughs> what? I yeah. had no idea. I think he's at the Contemporary Resort doing a press conference. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Presidents. Just trying to cool. like, just trying to tell him not to, don't not put an animatronic of me in here. I'm just trying to blend in. <laughs> so, speaking of animatronics, did you see that device that the doctor was using to Doctor Matthias? I think his name is to yeah. uh, to see if uh, Ian McShane was still absorbing energy. He had this giant cart with an articulating arm and a flashlight at the end of it. And he hit him with that light like four times. And he's like, yeah, no, everything's normal. And then he wheels this giant car <laughs> out of the way. I was like, best prop ever. Can we get that at the prop store? <laughs> it's amazing. The props in the show. <laughs> we get those at the hospitals. I, I, I was in, I had a little hospital run a few years ago and I remember them showing up with a, not a sci-fi a cart, but you know, showing up with a cart. Mark, you get any sci-fi carts? Uh, I remember the one lady who uh, was supposed to find a vein and had brought a big thing in and it took her like a really, really long time to find a vein. And then my arms swole up because I guess she did a bad job. Okay. Um, no, no, she had I... like sort of K-pop makeup on, I noticed. <laughs> anyway, I the, see I was way out of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was really or... scary when I like got home and I'm like, Wait, my left arm is much bigger than my right arm? What's going on? <laughs> no. You know, another another prop that was pretty cool was uh oh, I'll just call him Mark because I'll mess up his last name. Um Mark's uh Apple Watch is Alpha Watch, Moonbase Alpha Watch, whatever it was. He was that was that was pretty cool. Alpha Watch, um, so that writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, is that where they got this idea from? People are like, Oh yeah, I got the idea for cell phones from uh from watching Star Trek. Maybe Maybe Stephen Jobs got the idea for the Apple Watch from Moonbase Alpha. I don't think he you came know, up with that idea, but uh, Dick Tracy had it, right? Yeah. There's a, a lot of modern inventions are sort of a solution waiting for a problem. And we've always had a problem that we don't have a, a thing in our hand that does everything. Like that was a, that was sort of the most obvious. You You could argue that iPads, maybe you're not as necessary considering that most phones are pretty big and you can see them. But um, yeah, that's always sort of been a that's always been a problem waiting for a solution. So it's it's kind of it's kind of obvious. I think um, the the main one that we're having trouble with is talking to a computer because that's not good ever. And no, we don't right. know if it ever will be. Unless you can talk the computer down. But but the thing is, like many people who are over the age of OK, like many people around our age. I had to learn how to type so I can type faster than I can talk really. Um, and a lot of people who are younger than us just learn how to type because they were chronically on the internet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe just put keyboards on things, Apple. I guess you know? some, put keyboard have on some, it. uh, touch screen typing. Somebody's got to be good. But, but you know, what's better than that is a big keyboard that, that I could type with. True. Um, anyway. at least you get the nice, <laughs> Now, now we're just sounding. Like yeah, I, I think everybody <laughs> finds the. 
the sweet spot in their technology. I mean, for me, um, I mean, I go out, I do my job for a few days. I'm on my phone and I'm on an iPad a lot. Like that's where like the tools of my job are right now is on the iPad. So when I get home and I've got a couple of screens, an ergonomic keyboard, a mouse, you know, I've got all this stuff like that is like my favorite work environment, I think, to to be productive instead of like tapping with the tip of my finger and, you know, trying to just play like I'm a giant with this tiny little thing I'm supposed to, you know, use um, probably laptop after that. And then, you know, sort of the screens, you know, a, a distant third after that. But I think depending on sort of when you sort of gained proficiency, what technology du jour was, you know, key at that time is probably where you kind of um, at least like to be. Let's just, you know, uh, talking into a thing or or touch screen typing to a lesser extent. But, you know, you're you don't have like that tactile thing. And they they say that if a technology works in nine out of ten times, the one time it doesn't work is going to be a lot more obvious than the nine times it does work. Mm-hmm. So that's just I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm massively depressed. And that's why I think like that. I'm just like <laughs> when I say something and my phone doesn't know, I'm just like, ah, why? Why are you like this? I hate everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. Uh, but today for this show, I mean, I watched on, you know, the TV and in my phone, I just, you know, uh, talked into Apple Notes and just uh, had to edit things occasionally, more than occasionally. Um, but at least it was enough to kind of get the thoughts down. And then I could just kind of give it a once through. So uh, maybe I'm evolving. I still like a, well, I still like a number of screens and a nice keyboard and um, and that way to do things. I got well, the Blu-ray. I, do... I mean, the DVDs over here, but I end up playing these episodes usually on YouTube with on the left side of my screen while doing notes on the right side of my screen. So, well, yeah, you oh, guys no. are on the left side of my screen while I have my notes and browsers on the right side of my screen. That's how I always do it. My camera is on the left side of my screen. Um, but yeah, I was going to say the one thing I do appreciate my phone for is that I can remind it, make it remind me things. And even if it types the thing wrong, I'll know what it means. Yeah. And the reminder will be right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. got these. So these are all like, so the brown sleeves, that's a technology, right? Technology, engineering, stuff like that on Moonbase Alpha. I was it trying to work it out because I was noticing while watching this last night, especially that there's like kind of like a tan and then a brown because um, uh, Zoraf and um, Eva have slightly different colors suggesting they're in slightly different departments they are so they're he's brown shirts. like he's full-on brown which is like kano's brown they're brown they worked in the radiation lab um they seem to be kind of like computer techs they were called technicians um sandra she's a yellow sleeve that's what that's what eva was also so and i think they're more like comms and then what's very slightly almost indiscernible is the pilots which is like a slightly more orange um so alan carter has a little bit darker um, then those, and then purple is security. I think that's obvious. And then white's medical. Um, and then Victor Bergman doesn't have anything like Simmons. Uh, so they're just uh, uh, advisors, I guess. I mean, I know what Simmons is, but you know, uh, they, I, I don't think they <laughs> yeah, have. I, I can't yeah. say that on this podcast. Actually, could say on this podcast. But... <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he's a ghost. Well, he certainly is at this point. Uh, <laughs> a skeleton. He's died a few times, hasn't he? Yeah. This but show. another another good uh, another good Victor Koenig exchange was um, uh, Mark's killed. Um, 
what's his name? Zoref just comes out of sick bay. <clears throat> they don't know what killed Mark. Koenig is like, it's got to be connected somehow. And Victor's like, well, Mark's dead. We're going to put Zoref back in charge of the area. <laughs> and Koenig's like, no, no, wait. Oh, don't, no. And I was like, this is why, like, you know, intelligence doesn't necessarily equate to like decision making and and the ability to to be in a leadership position it's like okay man like not a good not a good decision right there i mean being smart being intelligent are are, you know notably different things (laughs) well you do the best you can right that's what being the captain or commander or whatever rank so we're shutting down all power including emergency power (laughs) a good decision then I well, don't think so, but and it, it was the best he could do. And and that's one of the things that I see about, you know, Koenig in general, um, you know, up to this point and later is that he's got a leadership style that is, it's kind of his, he, he doesn't build consensus. He doesn't really seem to try to get to the best answer by, by using his people around him. Um, but he's in charge, right? So do things his way. And it often ends up working out okay you know occasionally you know dead guy in sick bay um that wouldn't be dead otherwise but it's not it's not a very collaborative um you know get everybody's input which if there's time to do is great if there's not time to do it's understandable that if you're in charge you just kind of spout orders out and, and say the right way to do it but i think in general his leadership style would benefit from a little bit more input from his people any you guys well, I I feel like this is one of the cases and it's in a lot of sci-fi where the writing really reveals itself as very uh right righty I don't know how to say that it a lot of times it feels like Koenig is getting exposition directly not he's not spouting exposition but he's spouting a little bit too much common sense for a mortal who's not omniscient and we've had instances like Guardian of Piri last week where he was the only one who wasn't affected by the planet for no no discernible reason. He just smartest guy in the room automatically. Uh-huh. And and also he on top of that he he was smart enough to just rail against the thing really like I don't want to be perfect. I don't want to have fun, which was the right call <laughs> because the thing was going to kill everyone. He was sort of had maybe a little bit too he's maybe too smart. But yeah, uh, it was a little uh, this side of paradisey um Mm -hmm. yeah in that that aspect at the same time this isn't again this isn't star trek even though it's obviously sort of patterned after star trek there's no academy he wasn't trained for any of this stuff this is the first guy who's ever done this (laughs) so i was um, thinking he's now the lord basically the lord you know as in medieval version the lord of Moonbase alpha but before the moon blasted out of earth's orbit he was basically a mid-manager yeah, he's gone from he's gone from being it would be like if the movie Armageddon, if Bruce Willis just took the oil rig into space and then was the first group of humans to, to travel three billion light years or whatever it was. Yeah. And I think Harry Stamper probably would have uh, would have laid down the law. Also, man. I'm not um, gonna lie, that would have been a fantastic show. What a cast. What oh, a cast that would be. Oh, my God. Please. Someone. Oh, poor Bruce Willis. But I mean, I hope he's at least dreaming about that. Yeah, I just wonder if being having been a mid manager and now being like thrust into charge would 
have you know present notable leadership flaws just from lack of training and experience because this yeah. is not his wheelhouse. Yeah. That is that is really good. Yeah, he was he was sort of brought up as an administrator and and sort of I think with an engineering background, if I remember right. Um, but what I did like in this when we were talking about exposition a little bit ago, he asked Koenig asked Paul what would happen if we took the generators offline. And he said, this amount of time, this would happen. This amount of time, that would happen. After X amount of time, we're basically hosed and we won't be able to get it, get anything back. And he said, okay. And then later on, he said, take the generators offline. And then all Paul did at that point was go, he kind of sighed and gave a look like, I don't know if I, you know, okay. And he did it, right? Modern sci-fi would have had somebody say, but captain, if we do that, these things will happen. And then he would have said, do it anyway. So I really was impressed by the subtlety of that, of that acting by Paul when, or the actor that plays Paul, uh, when that happened, because they already did, they already laid it out for us. They didn't need to do it again. And I feel like modern writers do it again. There, there is a lot of that on Voyager as well. There's at least where I am right now. Janeway keeps being like, I'm going to fly the ship into a black hole. And somebody's like, no, that's suicide. And she's like, do it. And then it's fine. I guess the subtle difference is having time to think about the decision. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. because it needs to be a snap decision. That's, I guess, a modern viewer sees like our heroes should be able to make a split second decision. Whereas Koenig was actually given, you know, he had eh, probably at least 30 minutes to do on this, right? Yeah. I I thought it was very uh interest a sci-fi would not normally have as much of, of a lingering camera on the ramifications aka the guy dying in sick pay <laughs> like i feel like that's an uncommon thing to sh- like they wouldn't have shown that on star trek the original star trek probably like yeah hey. I mean, it was cool to show those show those you know the 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 consequences of that decision mm-hmm it's the the tension of this. This show does tension really well, even if it's sometimes kind of, you know, kind of dumb. It's like sometimes pro- it's like professional tension or something. Like it's again, yeah. it's, it's workplace tension. Yeah, workplace Almost. tension. Yeah, you can't. You, what are you gonna? What am I gonna keep the power on and give it to this energy vampire, or <laughs> is your guy gonna die? <laughs> it's one guy. The guy, the crispy, crispy guy, might blow up all, all of us. <laughs> I guess he did. Offices have to deal crispy. with that like once a week. Crispy Zoref. Like we a, we, we like touched on it before. I I thought when when Zoref was in was restrained in sick bay, and I, I think I see this scene a lot, or at least I have seen it a lot in Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. And there's somebody working nearby, kind of so wrapped up in what they're doing that they don't notice the 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 bad guy mm-hmm. getting getting away. And Dr. she's Dr. Russell in this case. She's just holding up these colored tiles and putting them down. <laughs> I said she was looking up post-it notes. Well, <laughs> and then and then and then the orange one, and then another orange one. <laughs> and and yeah, and the funny thing is, is that when you see that scene, you know she's not going to die. And then the second oh, yeah. you see it, an unnamed character, the security guard, like whoop, dead. Yeah, the purple shirt, I, I imagine, was outside not to keep people from coming in and killing Zoref, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. probably posted out there because Zoref was the threat. So that, that guy had one yeah. job, man. And I don't know. I'd love to see if off screen his boss was like, no, wait out here. And he was like, uh, but but boss, if I'm inside, I'll be able to keep an eye on the threat. 
nope you're waiting yeah. out here <laughs> don't question my orders. <laughs> well the the only th- the uh, only the wild card is the only wild card is we weren't we didn't know whether eva was going to die or not yeah, yeah, but I, I guess she's like your Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, right? So, <laughs> I mean, she was, I knew she wasn't coming back. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, Eva, we do we never see Eva again? I doubt we do, but we can assume she was that in Barry Lyndon. The... Yeah. Okay. And sadly, we'll never see Jane again. Um, and I knew we were never going to see Ian McShane again because he's not a series regular, um, too big no. a name to to be known for <laughs> that. So there there was a little bit of a uh, a little bit of writing on false going into this one. He wasn't that big back then. He was um let me see. What did he do? What did he do after that? I love looking this stuff up. Uh so one of the things I found out is that he was in a uh he was in a show called uh Lovejoy, where he played uh like an antique collector detective kind of thing. And he starred in it with um the woman that played uh Eva. Uh so Gay Hamilton. Married. Is that her name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You said they were married for realsies. So I guess they were kind of like a. Is that correct? I didn't oh, say that. Oh, no. Okay. They're married on the show. I said they were both alive. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were married on the. Yeah. And they were married on the show. That was like 40 um, minutes ago. He, I mean, he went on reality. to be in Roots soon after this. He was in Roots. He was in Roots. He was in yeah. Roots. Um, so. He was also in Codename Diamond Head. Also. So good. <laughs> Also, the pirate, the fifth musketeer. Ooh, cheaper well, to man. keep her. Magnum <laughs> PI. It's a fun credit. The the original Air or the essence. newer one? I guess the original one. <laughs> Too scared to scream. Grace Jones, slave to the rhythm. Oh, he just Ooh, did a God. voice for that. A voiceover. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, gotta watch that after this. <laughs> um. Mark, were you were you finished mm-hmm. with your title? Oh, I mean, I could go on forever, but we'd probably be better off talking about anything else. Okay, so let's talk about how much of this Dick is Francis exist- Bloodsport. Okay, okay I'm you, done. yeah, that you probably needed to put that one out there. <laughs> how much of this is uh, existential dread? How much of it is sci-fi fun? I'll take percentages on that if you want. Uh, I'm I'm going fifty-fifty on this skip. Fifty-fifty the, for me. Did you call me skip. I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just said, I just said talking like I was talking to an announcer. Okay, that's cool. Uh, qualify 50 50 on this one. I, uh, I thought it was fun and dre- dready fun. It was like a slasher movie. Yeah, definitely. See, that, that made me feel less dread somehow. The fact that it did feel like a slasher movie and you could like anticipate, mm-hmm. yeah. except for Eva, you could pretty much anticipate who was going to die from the get go. So, to me, it was like eh, like forty dread and like sixty, not sci-fi fun though. That that see this one, I feel like my question doesn't quite <laughs> track because I'm like it's not really sci-fi fun. It like it's haunted house fun, right? So it, that changes it a little bit, but it's a genre I mean, fun. We'll say that. If this was a movie, you would call it a sci-fi horror, probably because he did like kill people with his mind and. Although it seems like them freezing was just a completely random thing, like they had some frost lying around. So it's like, yeah, just make we them freeze. Didn't so mean anything. Had nothing them. to do with anything. Okay, I guess he took heat, heat from, from them. them. Yeah, but that's not really. It's not. Uh, I think it'd be cool was, if they shattered when they fell. It, Ooh, it'd yeah. Be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool if they all like got shocked and their hair was standing up. Like, 
just like or if Anton had made himself like a Mr. Freeze style suit, that would have been cool. It'd be cool if if every time he killed someone they got smaller and he got bigger, and then by the end of the episode he was like twenty feet tall. Oh yeah, that'd be great. That that would have been a massive budget though. So yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm just uh just trying to prove that I'm better writer than uh well, no, because they're writing within budget. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. That's why I'm a better writer is because I write with no budget in mind at all. <laughs> I'm not a, limited by your pathetic earth money. And, and I couldn't tell if any of those scenes were, I was thinking that they should have reused some scenes from breakaway, you know, with the explosions and uh, the, the one guy going out the window like that, that looked like they're, they should have stronger windows on Moonbase alpha myself. Um, but, uh, they don't. And, but I don't think any of those scenes were from, I didn't recognize any of those scenes from breakaway. I just kind of like going into that scene. I assumed some of, there would be some, some reused footage, but I didn't recognize any. It was like an internal, I don't think they did. Um, there was some overlap with the production of the episode after this, but I didn't look too far into it. Maybe we'll Um, hear about next week. We'll see. Maybe we will, but (laughs) yeah, it, it's kind of wild. This is one of the only episodes where you don't see an eagle blow up and then just a bunch of the movie. Eagle at all. 36 minutes into the episode, we see Alan Carter for the first time. And I'm like, yes. And then he's like, Alan, you're with me. And Alan's like, dude, unless you've got an eagle for me to crash, I am perfectly happy just <laughs> hanging out in main mission. But he goes and then he like saves Eva and then he shoots the crispy guy. And then he does like he does like so many Peter Quincy Taggart type falls and rolls on the way back. Uh, I think he just somersaulted his whole way back to main mission at the end. Like it was like his his time to shine was uh, was well uh, was an opportunity he took took a full advantage of. It's a Genki boy. Had some energy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to believe that while all that stuff was blowing up, he's just like, yeah, if I can't crash an eagle and this should be happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, did you want to throw some percentages of your own on this? So I, I guess one thing I want to clarify, because because when I answered the question last time, I was thinking like from the point of view of the folks on Moonbase Alpha, like in character, like to them, is it sci-fi fun or existential dread? But now I'm starting to feel like for us as an audience, is it sci-fi fun or existential dread? Both are valid. Both are valid. Okay, because because for me, like I was going like a full like 90 plus percent uh, existential dread from the point of view of the Alphans. Like hmm. this was like this was an existential crisis. Uh, now, from an audience member, man, between uh, all the hotties on Moon, Moonbase Alpha, including the alarm clock, um, the Mrs. Robinson shot in the solarium that was fantastic <laughs> that we hadn't even talked about um, to, uh, you know, the the. Uh, Ian McShane having Gary Mitchell eyes at the end. Um, I I found myself really really having some fun with this episode. So uh, Mark, I was I was kind of taken aback by your fifty fifty uh, take at the beginning of this because I was like, no, this was this was an existential crisis for these folks. But um, as an audience member, man, I'm I'm probably I'll go sixty six point six repeating. Uh, existential dread and thirty three point three percent repeating sci fi fun. Okay, that puts yeah us, uh, like half and half with a uh, proper distribution. Then <laughs> I'm absolutely thinking about it from an audience member who is just watching the bodies hit the floor. Man, 
But not shattering. It is, it's October. We're not recording this in October. Yeah. You know, let the let let them let them hit the floor. The um, okay. Yeah. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> any any other big observations? Y'all want to plop down on this one? I I want to well, throw one. Oh no! I I'm sorry. I was thinking as I was talking. So if you got one, then go. Please. I, I've got one just because I and I and I wanted I didn't want to I want to give you the last word, but I learned something in this episode today, and it came from Mark uh shortly before he died. He accused um uh Ian McShane, uh aka An- Anton, of having ergomania. Ergomania. Um that is the uh the the desire or the need or the addiction to working all the time. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, sometimes I wish I had a little bit more ergomania, probably be a lot more productive. Uh, the fact that I, I, something like that never even crossed my mind, um, is, uh, probably indicative of my work ethic. Mm -hmm. So I just, uh, I thought maybe I'll try to fold a little bit more ergomania into my life. That's what I got out of this episode. Makes your life more ergonomic. Here's the thing. I suffer from (laughs) ergomania. This is what happens. You find one thing that you need to do. You focus laser laser hard on it and you forget a bunch of other things you need to do. I sometimes deliver things for money. If there are a lot of deliveries, then I just do that until I cannot move. Um, if I really need if I'm playing an RPG and I really need to level up my character, that's what I'm doing. Uh, maybe I didn't sleep. I don't know. So is this good or bad so, for a nuclear technician? I don't think that it's good. Well, <laughs> it may be good in a situation like where you're on a base and there's nothing for you to do except for that, but may not be a good thing to do, especially if you're going to start murdering people with your energy powers. Yeah, as they note in this, you can't just go out for some fresh air, really. You can walk down a corridor. There, That's right. That line did really hit me when he said, I need to get some fresh air. And she's like, well... We all need some fresh air. He's like, the best I can do is walk down a corridor. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. And I hadn't, that was, that was an existential dread moment for me. Yeah, that would be the, yeah, I guess just as far no as audience, sure. that would be the, just uh, being on a battleship, you know, the Battlestar Galactica vibe where they're kind of stuck in their dingy tin can for God knows how long. I, I'd imagine, because I'm not typically a very claustrophobic person, but I sort of found claustrophobia when i had my mri recently that lasted mm. an hour um i can imagine there would be some day where i just wake up randomly and be like all oh, the stairs recycled uh, uh, just like start freaking out i've because, learned over uh, years i don't have claustrophobia i have like agoraphobia yeah. there's like a ton of people oh. around me i don't like that well, that's not agoraphobia the agoraphobia is more like you don't want to be outside with the sky open. oh okay I thought the agora like, was the marketplace. I think, I think being around a lot of people is still technically a type of claustrophobia. Oh, okay. If you feel like your movement being restricted is the thing you're worried about, and I've kind of felt like that. Um, Although, Matt, you yeah. make a valid point when you say, "Oh, I thought the agora was the marketplace." <laughs> it was I the mean, name of that, the marketplace. That's, that's almost like a slam dunk right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have I'll agoraphobia. Uh, okay. No, um, I, I did. I've. I do remember a specific moment when I was uh, going home from a bar and stopped at the checkers drive through and I didn't really want checkers. And I was just sitting in the drive through for 
I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. And then I started absolutely freaking out. I was like, I have to get, I have to get out of this line. And my girlfriend at the time just laughed because she was wasted. So, uh, you laugh it off. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't like, I was very upset. It was just like, I, cause it was one of those lines where you can't drive out of it because there's a cement barrier. So you're just, you're just there. And you're ah, waiting, yes, yes. You're waiting for something terrible. Mm. That, that's kind of my, that where I say I might be a few minutes late for this. Cause I'm like the, the heaviest traffic's like, like where I can see my house and I'm stuck in traffic. So it's really annoying. Uh, yeah, um, that, that is really frustrating. Um, but, but yeah, I guess just sometimes when I feel like I am restricted in some ways, but the, the, I'm trying to think the last time I had a, I sometimes have panic attacks, but a lot of times that's, that correlates with being outside in the daylight, mm, which yeah, is interesting. weird. Mm, uh-huh. fear the, fearing the sun. Um, the last time I went to a daytime music festival, I had a couple of panic attacks. Mm, there there were a lot of people there. Yeah, there were a lot of people and bands that I cared about, but not a whole lot mm, that you have cared about. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> Dinosaur Junior. I was like, yeah, I I do want to see Dinosaur Junior, but also, I don't know. Do I sit around listening to Dinosaur Junior a lot? Functionally, not really. They have cool guitars. I mean, Lou Barlow was in the band again, so that's nice. There you go. Nice. They they made friends again. Mm. Good for yeah. them. But anyway, if you were on the moon base, you'd love an outdoor music festival. It'd be a nice change of pace. I guess that's the main. What if it's an outdoor music festival where you just die because you're in space? Well, then <laughs> that, don't go. I'm not talking about the moon base one. I'm talking about the one you went to. <laughs> Jay Mascus is just trying to trying to breathe and can't. Okay, I don't know. Anyway, I, we might have petered out on. on I feel on like this we've hit, we've hit three or four brick walls. Speaking of claustrophobia, I didn't know how much of that was going to make it into the show or just the uh, just just the Patreon version. No, I just um, the rambling. No, it's probably going to so, be in. Oh, <laughs> um, sure. Okay. Stuff, uh, I guess Mike, Mike what you got? Yeah. Oh, as far as what uh, other stuff or plug pluggity plug? Yeah, plug plugs. Oh yeah, so uh, Mission Log of the Orville still waiting on a release of season four, which I think we'll get as soon as the actors' strike is settled. Uh, we just had an interview with Jay Lee, who plays uh, you know the Orville's John Lamar, and uh, that interview was fantastic. We didn't because of the 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 kind of prohibition or the 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 restriction that SAG actors have on promoting their work. We didn't talk about the Orville. We talked about Jay. And we talked about his background as a musician and as a theater student and uh, 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 IU graduate and growing up in St. Louis and moving out to L.A. and working for Fuzzy Door and meeting Seth. But, man, the man's work ethic, uh, his ability to communicate, his, his ideas and his passion uh, was phenomenal. So that was our uh, most recent um, release it was a supplemental issue. Uh, supplemental episode, excuse me. And we're going to try to work through some of the cast members as we can. Um, I really wanted to get Jay on there because he was a combination of, uh, he's a WGA member. So we can talk about the, the, the deal, the contract that was reached between the studios and the WGA and what's going on with the actor strike. But I was just so impressed with him as well as everybody else. When we did the panel and lost at uh, the 57 year mission, uh, AKA STLV that uh, just, just really wanted to get him on the show and talk to him more. And he was, very very um forthcoming and 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 really it was was such an easy interview because you just kind of throw a little question out there and he just kept kept talking uh and going on about with just all of his passion and and uh uh, creativity that he has so 
Um, that was probably, you know, one of my favorite episodes that we've done, you know, so far uh, in the interview format. So doing that, uh, other than that, uh, so you can catch catch me on Twitter, excuse me, X, um, mrichards1701 and uh, ml underscore the Orville uh, pretty much across the socials. If uh, you want to just chat, chat about the Orville, say hi, whatever. That'd be great. Yeah, I made it to the uh, Orville Orville, not Orville panel at Dragon Con. It was pretty great. I, I, I love hearing actors just talk about their stuff, just talk about their life. And, and uh, I felt like I it was so them. much. Yeah, it was so much more interesting because I felt like if we had to talk about, you know, or, or if we could talk about the show, it would have been like, hey, remember an episode, you know, 15 when you guys went to the planet and stuff like that. Instead, we couldn't talk about cool. that stuff. We had to talk about yeah, that was that was cool. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk yeah. about their relationships and how we met each other and what it's like to work with each other. And, you know, how do you guys make each other better and and that kind of thing. And I thought that was a, a far more interesting conversation than, um, you know, what was it like to dry hump Mella Geffenden? I mean, actors act and writers write. So it's nice to hear actors being they have to talk about acting. They can't talk about writing. So, yeah, you know, it was it was delightful. So it was and then there was a strange New Worlds panel where Anson Mount gave a really long speech about why the studios are all screwed. And that was. Pretty inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's shown up on YouTube or not, but he's at the end of it. He's just like, well, my career is over now. <laughs> it, was great. it was just getting good all great uh, yeah man it was all it was all great anyway Mark, you, you do our thing i woke up at 6 30 yeah. morning took my wife to work came back now i'm talking to you my my brain yeah. fried. Well, i woke up, up at 5 30 in the morning that's not true uh yeah. i woke up at, i woke up at like 11 a.m <laughs> oh yeah this, this uh, is definitely your your real this is sort today. of my this is my half day off my ergomania i had to take a break anyway uh find us at patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius please find bonus content that we keep referencing from this episode and many others uh maybe throw us a few bucks to help with these hosting bills and things like that you can also check out films and filth assistant cane of podcasting mike and his co-host jessica have uh showed up a couple of times um our, our viva rock vegas uh, round table is probably my favorite episode of that that we've done so far <laughs> not safe for work um <laughs> check out occult disney the uh, connections between disney and the occult check out time enough podcast currently doing one step beyond oh yeah also should mention that films and filth currently is uh in solidarity with the strike we're doing whatever movies we want that are not hollywood stuff um God, I'm all over the place. Um, check out Luke Loves Pokemon. Luke goes through all his favorite Pokemon. Uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom podcast, Hyrule Field Report. Uh, game Game Show, Game Show about games. Uh, podcast 1999, which is this podcast. That's this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mark, Here we Mark's, are. Yeah, Mark, I, I was like watching Mark's brain melt as he was doing that. Ergomania. <laughs> Ergo. Uh, go be a maniac. Just don't kill people with electricity, please. <laughs>